He was training them to be like himself. That was the goal of every disciple, was to observe every aspect of their rabbi. Even the eating, the drinking, what they said, the scriptures they memorized, their values, their interests, everything about their rabbi so captivated them that that was their life. And the very fact that Jesus made disciples, that he called disciples, proves that he wanted his life replicated. Hey everyone, welcome to the Living with Synergy podcast. I am your host and Bible teacher, Colby Cullum. We're in the second lesson of our current series, Follow Me, where we are learning and living the full life of Jesus. And just to do a minor recap, our main scriptures were in Matthew 4, Mark 3, Matthew 11, Matthew 16, John 12, where Jesus was calling his disciples or calling men to be his disciples. They were not his disciples yet, but his call to them was like this, follow me. You know, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen and they were mending their nets and they were working at their job. And Jesus interrupted their job and said, quit what you're doing and follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Jesus says in Matthew 16 and John 12, he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And we talked about last time how uh, the number one reason why we want to go into the life of Jesus, uh, why we want to follow him with such... uh, austere observation is because the life of Jesus clearly reveals the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, start with the life of Jesus. You can't go wrong. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God wants us to understand his will. It's not to remain as a mystery in our lives. It is revealed in his word, and it's revealed through Jesus. And in fact, the main thesis scripture of this podcast is Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, We pray that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. And if we want to understand his will, if we want to stand perfect and complete in all of his will— then let's look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said it emphatically um, that everything that he said was as if God himself were saying it. He, uh, he said that everything that he did was as if God himself were doing it. So everything about Jesus's life was in accordance with the will of God. And therefore, it would do us very well to pay close attention to everything that he said and everything that he did, especially if we simply want to learn the will of God. If we want to be aware of what God's interests are, 
what God loves, what catches his attention, what really grieves him, what makes him respond in anger. Look at all of the different situations in Jesus' life and see how he responded. But today, I want to go over the second thing that really captivates me in wanting to observe and learn from the life of Jesus, and that is that Jesus wants us to learn from him so that we may live like him. His life isn't just recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in four big books of the New Testament just for us to know what God's will is and see things that Jesus did that are awesome. No, he wants us to observe the things that he did that are awesome so that we can go and do likewise. He wants his life to be replicated. To reiterate some of our main scriptures, Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 4, verse 18 uh, when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then immediately they left their nets and followed him. See, Jesus called them to follow him and to learn from him. He called men to dedicate their lives to studying and living what they learned and caught from him. Jesus was a rabbi, and the goal of any good teacher is not only to teach their notes well to their students, but that their students would catch everything they learn so that when their learning is complete, they will go out and put everything into practice. See, good teachers want to see the fruit of their teaching. In fact, good teachers want their students to take their teachings and go out and do it better than they did. See, that was Jesus' goal in making these disciples. He wanted to make them fishers of men. He wanted them to follow him, learn from him, so that they would take everything and go out and do likewise and do it even better. Man, that Guys, that is the goal of discipleship, especially in the days of Jesus, when these men were called upon to follow a rabbi. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Jesus wasn't planning on having them follow him for a season, have some schooling for just a few years, and then take whatever principles they learn from that and just and then go back into their old life, go back to their old career that they were called out from. Jesus was changing the trajectory of their life. In essence, you could say this. He said he was a rabbi calling disciples under his rabbinical leadership, training them to also be rabbis. He was training them to be like himself. That was the goal of every disciple, was to observe every aspect of their rabbi. Even the eating, the drinking, what they said, the scriptures they memorized, their values, their interests, everything about their rabbi so captivated them 
that that was their life. And the very fact that Jesus made disciples, that he called disciples, proves that he wanted his life replicated. Notice how Jesus' life is summarized, okay, in these next scriptures, and how he equipped his disciples to do the same. Luke chapter 6, we'll start with verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of the disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with evil, unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. See, that was the life summary of Jesus. This is what this rabbi did, right? He healed everyone. He delivered many people of unclean spirits, healed them all. Everyone sought to touch him. Power went out from him and healed them all. Then it says in Luke chapter 9, notice this. Then he called his disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they departed and went throughout the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus wasn't content with all of the work of the ministry All of the work, if you will, of the rabbinical ministry being only on him. He wanted his life to be replicated in his disciples. And therefore, he gave them the same power and authority that he had so that they could have it over all demons and to have it over all diseases. And he thus sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And that's what they did. They departed. They went throughout the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. It says something very similar in Mark chapter three, verse nine. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. So here you have the rabbinical ministry of Jesus, and what did his ministry look like? He healed many. Many who had afflictions, they pressed about him to touch him. And all the unclean spirits, they they would fall down, and, and they would say, You are the Son of God. 
He was so popular that he was he would be crushed by the multitudes. But Jesus chose 12 men for himself. He appointed 12 that they might be with him so that they can see how he did these things so that they too could be sent out to preach and that they too could have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And it says in chapter six, verse seven, and he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And skip down to verse 12 where it says, so they went out, preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Are you noticing this replication between the life of Jesus and his disciples? It also says in Matthew chapter 8, notice verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. That was the life of Jesus. He healed so many people, cast out demons, so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when he had called the twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of disease. Skip down to verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Man, if that ain't if that ain't clear about Jesus wanting his ministry to be replicated, then I don't know what is. Jesus wants his life to be our life. If we say that we are his followers, that we abide in him, we ought to walk just as he walked. He expects that of his followers. This is in 1 John chapter 2 verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus wants us to take his yoke upon us so that we can learn from him, look down at his feet and mannerisms, and walk as he walked. That is what he wants of his followers. It says in John chapter 8, verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus said in John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. What's the fruit that he wants to see? He wants to see the fruit of us walking as he walked. He continues, For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." He wants his life to be replicated. And you want to know one amazing thing that uh, gives us the assurance that we truly can replicate the life of Jesus? We can live like Jesus because he became a man. We can identify with Jesus because he humbled himself and emptied himself of his divinity to become a man. Yes, we can know the entire will of God because Jesus himself is God. And we went over that uh, in the last lesson. But make no mistake that Jesus, who was God in the beginning, he chose a season of emptying out himself in order to become a man. It says in John 1, I'll reiterate the fact of his deity and divinity. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not diminishing the fact of Jesus being God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. But skip down to verse 14. This is key. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider, consider it robbery to be equal with God. He, did, he was caught in the beginning. He was up there equal with God. But verse 7 says, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. I want you to notice what verse 7 says in different translations. The American Standard Version says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. The Amplified Bible says he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. It says in the complete Jewish Bible, on the contrary, he emptied himself in that he took the form of a slave by becoming like human beings are. And when he appeared as a human being, 
The easy to read version, here's the here's one for the simple minded. Instead, he gave up everything, even his place with God. He accepted the role of a servant appearing in human form. The English Standard Version says, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. The Expanded Bible says, but he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing, emptied himself. He became like, took the form of a servant, a slave, a bondservant, and was born as a man in the likeness of humanity, men. The International Children's Bible says this, he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. The International Standard Version says, instead poured out in emptiness, a servant's form did he possess, a mortal man becoming In human form, he chose to be. Wow, that's like a Yoda version, but boy, that's really good. Instead, poured out in emptiness, a servant's form did he possess, a mortal man becoming, in human form he chose to be. The Phillips translation says, For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as a mortal man. How about last one, the new life version. He put aside everything that belonged to him and made himself the same as a servant who is owned by someone. He became human by being born as a man. This is a fascinating revelation of the humility of Jesus. I don't think we truly understand that transition of Jesus becoming man from God. When he became a man, yes, he was, people say he was 100% God and he was 100% man. Again, I'm not diminishing the deity of Jesus, but there is something that was in the plan of God, something that was in the heart and will of God, that in sending Jesus to be a man, he had to become of no reputation. He had to lay aside the things that made him God. He had to empty himself, if you will. He had to strip himself of all of those privileges and all of the rightful dignity that he had with God. He had to give up his place with God. And if I could say he had to give up his place as God to make himself into a mortal being. This is absolutely fascinating. When Jesus took on flesh, his his conception was of God, right? It wasn't of human conception. It was not a man and a woman knowing each other. This was a miraculous birth of God intervening into the womb of a woman. But notice what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, 
God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is absolutely fascinating. When Jesus took on flesh and blood, you have to understand he took on that nature that had the proneness and had the tendencies to sin. It wasn't that Jesus was completely callous from being able to sin at all. No, when he came and emptied himself of his deity, he took the risk. God took the risk in putting on flesh coming in the likeness of men because he had to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, when the devil was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, the devil's not stupid. He wasn't wasting his time with Jesus because Jesus couldn't sin anyway. No, the devil spent time tempting Jesus with some serious sinful temptations because Jesus was indeed at a point of weakness. Jesus was in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he can sympathize and understand our weaknesses and our tendencies and fleshly inclinations because he himself experienced the same type of weaknesses, the same type of temptations that we go through. He was in all points tempted as we are. Guys, he very well could have fallen. Jesus could have sinned. But that's what makes his propitiation and his work on the cross and our redemption that much greater and how he was able to live a perfect life having, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure all the demons of earth and hell, all of the cohorts of Satan and his armies and fallen angels, you better believe they worked overtime during the life of Jesus to get him to fall because he very well had the opportunities to do it because he was emptied. He was stripped. He became as a mortal man to identify with us. Oh man, I, there's so much more to go into, but that's all the time that we have today. Man, do not miss the next lesson because we're just now getting into this and why we should follow him. Oh, our Jesus is amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the life that you exemplified and entrusting us to learn from you so that we can live like you, Lord. We dedicate that type of life for ourselves. Until next time, may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.